You have severance questions, uh, anything to do with the workplace, your workplace or otherwise, and always Lior at employmenthour.com. And your, uh, your personal number, always give that out as well, 416-216-5900. Lots of stuff going on this week. We'll talk first about the week that was. That's right, John. Thank you very much, and, and welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, as always, I like to start off by talking about some things that I did and I saw this week because uh, there's some interesting lessons uh, to be learned there and some, some good examples. So in the first situation, this is a matter that I resolved uh, this week. Uh, it involved a senior manager that had worked at a financial institution. He was making a very good salary. Uh, the employer underwent some uh, restructuring and decided to demote this individual. Now, this was a significant demotion in that uh, he had no more reports, no more people reporting to him. In fact, he would be reporting to someone that was a subordinate of his before. But the salary would stay the same. The employer would not reduce the salary. So the employer, the financial institution, they took the view that since your salary is staying the same, well, it's fine. There's no problem. But for the employee, this was a huge problem. First, it was embarrassing because everyone in the workplace knows that he Mm -hmm. was demoted. Uh, Second, it would hurt his future career prospects because now instead of his resume saying senior manager, it would say coordinator. So how can he in the future get other managerial jobs if he doesn't have manager on his resume? So we took the position that this change, this demotion was a constructive dismissal. Uh, This was a significant change for him. And we resolved the case this week on very, very good terms. Now, the lesson here is that with a constructive dismissal, We don't just look at uh, the tangible changes. Uh, There may be intangible changes that are just as important. For example, in this case, the embarrassment factor, Mm -hmm. the future career prospects. Whereas the uh, the tangible change, one of them, for example, the salary was not there because the salary stayed the same. So all these intangible changes uh, do factor in. Uh, And in this case, the employee did not have to accept the demotion. And in fact, he was entitled to significant severance. So it's not as easy for the employer to say, yeah, we made some changes, employer, but the salary is the same, so there's no issue here. In this case, even though the salary was identical, it was a constructive dismissal. It's weird that they would do that, though. It is and not give him a a reduction in salary. I I thought that my sense was always that they were hoping he'd just quit. And he did quit, but of course he took the position that he was constructively dismissed. Right. So, which means effectively that he gets his full severance. And because he was a senior employee, because he had worked there for a while, it was a significant amount. And if he had just quit and not pursued it, right. he would have received nothing. nothing. Yeah. Gotcha. So, in the second case, this is an interesting case that uh, involved the duty to accommodate. Now, John, I think you'll remember that uh, we've talked about this before. An employer has a duty to accommodate any physical limitations that an employee has including giving the employee other job duties, different hours, etc. Now, usually these disputes happen when an employer refuses to accommodate the employee uh, and the, the employee takes the position, well, you should have accommodated me. You could have and you didn't. Right. Uh, now, the case that I resolved this week was very different. In fact, it was the opposite. Uh, the employee in this case was off for about three months because of a medical condition. He was cleared to return to work with no restrictions whatsoever. He could do his old job in the same way. When he contacted the employer about coming back to work, the employer said, well, you know what? We determined, we, the employer determined that in light of your medical condition, a different job would be better for you and it would be easier for you to do. Now, the employer then tried to put the employee in a completely different job saying, well, this job is going to be better given the fact you're off on disability. Well, wait a second. The employee here didn't ask or didn't require any accommodation. It is not up to the employer to say, we insist on accommodating you. It doesn't work that way. Uh, We insist on accommodating these limitations that you don't have. 
In <laughs> fact, by doing that, by insisting on giving the employee a different job when one was not required, the employer had violated the human rights code. And the employer also really? constructively dismissed the employee. Absolutely. We think that be, for medical reasons, it would be better for you to do something else. When that's not the case, that is a violation of the human rights code. So uh, human rights violation, constructive dismissal. We resolved the case this week, and it turned out to be a, quite a costly uh, situation for the employer. Uh, it is not up to the employer to determine what limitations the employee has. If the employer doesn't think that the employee can do the job, well, ask for the clearance from a doctor. Ask right. the employee to provide clearance from a doctor. Don't take matters into your own hands. Uh, and in this case, it cost the employer quite a bit of money. That's, uh, that's actually kind of surprising they would do that. It know? was. It was. I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a case where the employer says, no, trust us. You do need accommodation. We demand accommodating you. Usually it's the opposite way, but it still results in the same problem, which is a human rights violation. I want to get into this as well. Take a short break. We're going to get into the things your employer doesn't tell you about your workplace rights, but we will. We will. Lots of that coming up in the Employment Hour. Talk Radio AM 640. And Lior's personal number is 416-216-5900 and Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. Want to get into the things your employer doesn't tell you about your workplace rights. Yeah, and, you know, for some reason, and, and there's a bit of a, uh, you know, sense that employers are going to tell people everything they know about, they need to know about their rights. That, uh, and employers, employees sometimes are naive thinking, well, the employer didn't tell me I'm owed this or the employer should have told me and they didn't. Uh, there's the, it's not the employer's obligation to tell you what your rights are. You have to know what your rights are. And that's what we always try to do uh, on the show, to inform employers, empl- inform employees, and uh, answer any questions. So you, you can't count on anyone else. It's up to you to know. So what I've done is I've put down a list of uh, the, the most common uh, workplace rights where an, an employee may expect the, em- the employer to tell them about right. it, but the employer doesn't. So if the employer doesn't, I'm going to do it. So let's talk about the few things, uh, workplace rights, an employer is not going to tell an employee about. First, uh, the thing that an employer is not going to tell an employee is that overtime is payable to salaried employees that work more than 44 hours a week. There's a sense or misconception that overtime only applies to uh, either part-time employees or to hourly employees. That's wrong. That's not the case at all. An employee is entitled to overtime even if they get paid a salary, and it's calculated on the basis of time and a half over 44 hours a week. Now, the other thing, which just relates to overtime, is that even though managers are exempt from overtime, right. the fact that you have the title of a manager doesn't necessarily make you a manager. You may have the title of the manager, but you don't manage people. You don't have managerial responsibilities. You may well be entitled to overtime. We see that with uh, salespeople all the time. I, I may be a salesperson, but I have a, a fancy title like a territory manager or something like that. That doesn't make me a manager. I may still just be an employee, a regular employee or a salesperson, so I'm entitled to overtime. So I want everyone to understand here, unless you're uh, exempt otherwise because you're a manager or a pool cleaner, right. uh, you're, you're entitled to overtime if you work more than 44 hours a week. Very, very important. Uh, another thing that an employer often doesn't tell an employee a work, with respect to workplace rights is that you don't lose vacation pay if you don't take it. You don't lose vacation pay. Now, there's a distinction between vacation pay and vacation time. time okay. okay? Yeah. So vacation time is time off work. Vacation pay is the actual payment. You can lose vacation time. You cannot lose vacation pay. You don't take vacation pay in a year. The employer can't say, well, wait a second. If you don't take vacation pay or you don't take your vacation, 
by December the 31st, we don't have to pay you vacation pay. Nonsense. You are still entitled to vacation pay. You may lose the time that you didn't take. So very important. And I see that all the time. Employers have policies that say you lose any vacation pay when you don't take vacation. And they think that policy is enforceable. It cannot be enforceable because it violates the Employment Standards Act. So if you're if you are uh, if your allowance is three weeks per year, say three weeks uh, of vacation time right. you didn't take during the year, do you get that in payment? Yes, exactly. So three weeks vacation usually would equate to six percent uh, of of your income. So yes, you're entitled to your your the equivalent of three weeks pay, even if you don't take your three weeks off. Usually the way it works, it's just the standard if, uh, way. If I'm entitled to three weeks vacation, I take three weeks off work mm-hmm. and I get paid during that time, even though I'm not at right. work. But I'm too busy this year. I didn't take my vacation. I've been so busy running around. So no vacation for me. I still have to get my vacation pay. So I'm going to get my usual salary plus an additional three weeks of pay. If any of these sound familiar to you, give us a call. What else uh, What else you got on the list? Uh, the next thing, and, and with respect to a workplace right that an employer does not tell an employee about, uh, is that uh, that there's not an obligation, actually, in many cases, to provide notice of resignation, uh, that there's not much an employer can do if you don't provide that notice. Usually, an employee only has to provide notice of resignation if, is, if a contract requires them to do that. So if you sign a contract of employment that says, I have to give you two weeks, three weeks, four weeks notice if I resign, then you have to do that, strictly speaking. But if you do not, the law doesn't otherwise impose a duty, unlike with respect to the employer. If an employer wants to terminate employment, the employer has to give notice or pay severance. The same duty doesn't apply to employees. The only exception is with respect to very senior employees, what we call fiduciaries, you know, your VPs, your presidents, those guys. Uh, But otherwise, your your, your, uh, average uh, employee does not have to give notice of resignation. Now, that said, as a a practical matter, I always suggest giving notice of of resignation. You don't want to burn bridges. You don't want to upset the the employer that you may want to use as a reference in the future. But there's no legal obligation. And employers often say, well, no, no, if you resign, you have to give me two weeks or three weeks notice. Not the case. You can walk in day of quit. I'm you, done. You can. Legally. Uh, legally, yes. Okay. Again, for okay. business reasons, you may not uh, want to do that. Right. But legally, absolutely. Lior at employmenthour.com. Got uh, Mike in Toronto. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the show. Hey. What can I do for you, Mike? Uh, my question is, if, if you're uh, terminated and given a severance package, but before the severance, the termination date, you know, you, you go on sick leave and or long-term disability. And my question is, if you are approved for long-term and receiving long-term, can you still sign the uh, release and and, uh, and receive severance payment while you're receiving long-term? And is there any deductibility? Good question. So generally the rule is this. If you paid the premiums for your uh, disability coverage, uh, either all of them or at least part of the premiums, then uh, if you're receiving uh, disability benefits, you can still get your severance and the employer can't say, wait a second, uh, we were going to pay you $20,000 severance. You're getting money from the insurance company so we can deduct that. They can't. You're entitled to have both. On the other hand, if the employer exclusively paid the premiums for your disability coverage, which is very rare, but if the employer exclusively paid those premiums, the employer can deduct from the severance that they owe you the amount of disability benefits that you're getting. So in most cases, I would say right now, in over 90% of cases, the employee pays, if not all, then some of the premiums. So you are entitled to have both. The question, of course, always becomes, uh, Mike, is whether the severance that you're offered is adequate. 
If it is adequate, if it does meet, it's, uh, it is what it's supposed to be, then you can accept and you can have both. Are you in that situation now, Mike? I, I am in that situation, and I was wondering, like, you know, the severance, uh, the release is there, but there's no due date on it. And so I'm wondering, like, you know, is it something you should do right away or, you know, wait a bit? Um, and... Uh, and, well, and, and there's also, there's no clawback to in, well, I guess it doesn't matter if you're on long term, but, uh, so there's no deadline then for returning a release. When, by what date do you think it's uh, reasonable that they, they could say, well, it's no longer enforceable? Well, in most cases, an employer is going to impose a deadline. So they'll provide you with an offer and say, you have to accept it by signing a release by a certain date. If the employer doesn't do that, you can accept at any time until the employer takes the offer off the table. So if it's open-ended, at any time before the employer explicitly and in writing says, okay, now that offer is gone, you can accept it. But again, the first step always, before you even consider accepting, Mike, you need to understand if what you've been offered is fine. Because if it's not, forget about deadline, you shouldn't accept it. Mike, do you want to find out? Do you think it is? Uh, I think it's borderline. I've asked a couple of people, and it's close. It's six months of salary, but I think a couple of people said I could be entitled to eight months. Well, how long have you worked there, Mike? Let's find out. About, about nine years. Nine years, okay. And what is your position? Uh, just an uh, uh, analyst in a financial institution. Uh, not union, of course? No. And how, uh, how old are you currently, Mike? Uh, 39. 39. So, yeah, 10 months is what I'd assess you at, okay? So uh, if you're getting uh, six months, that's not a good offer. It really, really isn't. 10 months is what you'd be entitled to. So I I certainly would, you know, without knowing any more in your specific uh, situation, I would not recommend that you accept it without properly getting advice because, uh, no, I, I would never recommend accepting six months in this situation. How long would it take to get to some resolution in your experience? A case like this, probably a couple of weeks. Uh, We'd send a letter, they'd respond back. A couple of weeks, it should be very, very straightforward. Mike, I'm going to let you go, but I'm going to tell you to call this number when you're uh, you're done. 416-216-5900. That is Lior's direct number. See? Right away. Four months off the table. And and he thought it was adequate. It's not. Yeah. Just that easy to get things uh, straight, to get the information you need. Lots more. Of the Employment Hour right here on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. You can also email Lior your questions, Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. Just like we had uh, Mike a few moments ago, that's often the case. People think their friends say it's a half-decent severance package. It's not. Not even close, son. Nope. That's why you want to get a hold of us here on the show. Got uh, Tom in line one. Hi, Tom. How are you? Hey, how are you? Okay, pal, what's up? Um, okay, um, I have a situation that I had uh, worked for a company over close to five years, and now being away uh, because of the uh, one of the family members uh, cancer, so I was away for one year, no pay. Then after that, uh, the, 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 my cousin passed away. Then I have gone through another year just to uh, get uh, things sorted out for them and so on. Then... I've been back and forth communicating with the employer. Uh, now it's the third year. I have got no severance or no unemployment insurance. Nothing. What can I do? Now, when you left, Tom, when you uh, went away from work, what was the agreement with the employer? Uh, it was a one-year, no-pay kind of a leave. So, so they agreed to give you a leave for a year. Yeah. And was there anything entered in writing, email, letter, anything at all? Yeah, it was a writing letter, yeah. Okay, so so in it it says that we're going to allow you a one-year leave. Yeah. And and did the leave last a year? I wasn't clear. Was it a year or longer that you were away? 
is there, I, I am away almost now. If I look at it right now, it's almost close to three years. I see. And what happened after a year? Because you were supposed to go back to a year. Did you talk to them about extending the leave? Oh, yes, I've been uh, extending the leave, but they didn't give me in writing. But uh, they said, yeah, when you're ready, come back, come back. And that's what uh, been going. Okay. Then I actually went back. Then there was no job for me. So. so let me give you my thoughts on this, Tom. At the end of the day, it comes down to whether there was an agreement with the company to extend the leave for you. So clearly you're telling me that for a year there was a deal uh, that yeah. you, you'll be on leave. So if you had come back after a year and they said no job, then yeah, that would be a termination and you would be entitled to severance. My concern is as to what happened after that year. If you cannot show that there was a deal in place to extend the leave, that they agreed to extend the leave, they would say, well, wait a second, you were only supposed to be gone for a year. You were gone for two years or three years. So now we don't have to take you back. But if you can show, in fact, that they had agreed or they admit that they had agreed to extend the leave, now they have to pay you severance. Do you understand what I mean? It comes down yeah. to can you prove that there was a deal for more than a year? Uh, well, I, uh, I can prove that all communication with the HR uh, that I had after that, uh, the, the first year. Yes. Uh, if that's, uh, that's, that's what my um, uh, only documents that I have, but that's uh, only communication back and forth, but not really in a, uh, like a letter that they gave right. for the first time. Well, what I'd like to see, and I'd like you to, to contact, me, contact me after the show, because I'd like to see the, these communications that you've had with the company uh, after the year. Because if it's clear that they acknowledged, even if it's not formally, but if they otherwise acknowledged that it's okay for you to take a longer leave, then yeah, you would be entitled to severance. So what I propose, Tom, is give me a call uh, after the show. Let's talk about it and maybe send me this correspondence that you had with the company and I'll be able to tell you if you're owed severance. Tom, that oh. number, uh, the number uh, Lior wants you to call is 416-216-5900. And uh, please give him a call. So there you go. That's Again, you can't let stuff like lapse. And it's all about, like you said a million times, keeping records, keeping yeah. emails, oh, always and keep I, communication. Absolutely. And you know, what's my rule? My rule is if it's not in writing, it doesn't exist. Very important, especially right. in this case for Tom. It's all going to be about why do you can prove and what's in writing. We were uh, doing things your employer doesn't tell you about your workplace rights. You got a couple more of those before absolutely, we break. Absolutely, right. John. So another thing that an employer doesn't tell you about your workplace rights, and that is that you can actually take back a resignation in certain situations. Uh, if the employer had not re- has not relied on the resignation to the employer's detriment, then you can take it back. Uh, it's, it's not one of those things where you say, yeah, I'm resigning, and then that's it, that's set in stone. You absolutely can take it back. Uh, the exception is if the employer's relied on it, if it's went out and hired someone else and it's training another person, it may be too late. But otherwise, if you give notice of resignation, you can take it back, change your mind, and if the employer says, no, it's too late, that may then become a termination and you're owed severance. How long do you have, though? What's the window, really? It, it does depend on the case. Every situation is different. For example, if you give a one-year notice of resignation, I'm resigning in a year, you probably are going to have pretty much till very close to that end period to take it back uh, unless the employer really relies on it. If you say, well, I'm, I'm resigning tomorrow, uh, it's going to be a much smaller window. You probably have to take it back pretty, pretty darn quickly. So now, it that, depends. Does that also, also for uh, written resignation or just verbal? Uh, either way. Okay. Either way. It doesn't matter. You can take it back unless the employer has relied on it. And by the way, we see it oftentimes in the heat of the moment. Maybe someone had a bad meeting, a bad day. That's I'm it. I'm out of here. I'm resigning. Leave everything on the table and walk out of there. And then, wait a second. What the heck am I doing? I've got a family to support. I've I, I got to make a, make a living. 
you come back, you absolutely can take it back. There's been many cases that dealt with heat of the moment type of resignations, right. and they're not effective. We'll take a short break. I know you got questions. Give them to us. It could be a very uh, financial beneficial <laughs> question if you ask and get answered right here in the show. Lots more of the Employment Hour coming up on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. Ready to roll. More of your questions, give that number a call or Lior at employmenthour.com. We left off talking about things your employer doesn't tell you about your workplace rights. Absolutely. And this next one, John, is not going to surprise you. We've talked about it before. And that is that a temporary layoff is, in fact, a termination. Oh, yeah. The employer doesn't tell you that. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about this for the last year. Uh, employees still get this wrong all the time. Employers, God knows, uh, get this wrong all the time. So let's let's set the record straight. Again, a temporary layoff is something that an employer is not allowed to do. It's a termination. So if you've been laid off temporarily, you can treat that as a termination and get your severance, just like you would with any termination. There's only two exceptions. Either there's a contract of employment that explicitly allows you, or allows the employer to uh, lay you off temporarily. That's one. Or two, you've been laid off temporarily in the past and accepted it. If you've laid off, been laid off in the past and accepted it, now the employers gained the right to do it again. It's a precedent, right? It's exactly. It's precedent, and now it's, a, it's a something that becomes a term of employment. But if one of those things don't happen, a temporary layoff is a termination. You don't have to sit at home uh, waiting anxiously to be called back. You can get your severance and move on. Very important. I was, I've heard people say, no, they can, they can do a certain amount of weeks per year in the employee without any consequences, blah, blah, blah. No. Cannot. Absolutely wow. not. I'll make it very clear. They can do that for a certain period of weeks per year in only one of those cases. Either there's a contract or past practice. Without one of those things, doesn't matter if it's for a day, a week, a month. No, you cannot do that. It, it is a termination, and it's up to the employee then to decide whether they're going to treat it as a termination. Or hang in. Or hang in. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, that's a big one. Uh, uh, Another one is that it's actually not better to quit than to be let go. A lot of employees say, well, the employer was going to let me go, but it's better for me if I quit. So I I quit instead of being let go. There's no advantage. Let's make it very clear. No. None. In fact, it's much, much worse to to quit than to, to be let go. Why? First of all, uh, if you quit, you don't get uh, you don't get severance. You don't, do not get severance if you quit. So you get severance if you're let go. The other issue is if you quit, you don't get employment insurance. You don't get EI. Whereas you get EI if you're let go. Employees may think, well, maybe it's going to be easy for me to find a job if I quit. Nonsense. I have never heard of someone who was easier for them to find a job because they quit. So there's no advantage to quitting. If the employer is going to say, I'm going to terminate your employment if you don't quit, you do not quit. If the employer wants to terminate, they can. They have to pay severance. Mm -hmm. Exactly. There's no advantage. I want to be very clear. I've heard this for years and it's nonsense. Uh, Another one is is this, that if, uh, if you do quit and you come back to work in the future, you may be entitled to credit for all the time that you had with the employer. Uh, This is especially important when it comes to severance. So let's say I've worked for a company for five years. I quit for a year and I came back and I worked for another five years. Well, guess what? It may well be that when uh, my employment is terminated now, I may be considered a 10-year employee instead of five. Uh, And and it's uh, it's not automatic that, well, wait a second, I had a gap for a year or six months or however long. So obviously that previous service doesn't count. In many cases, it does count. It does depend on the length of the absence. It depends on what the deal was when you came back. But in many cases, I'm going to say more often than not, 
you do get uh, credit for past service. And an employer is never going to say that. An employer is always going to say, no, no, you went away and you came back. You're a new employee now. So when we terminate your employment, we're going to completely forget about your past service. Wrong. I, I'm willing to bet that you've you've probably been in court or fought for cases like that where the employer has fought oh that God. tooth and nail. All the time. Yeah. And you know what? We've resolved it. Uh, and But it's, it's rare that the employer says, yes, shucks, you got us. But the law is that in many of these cases, you do get credit for past service. Even if you're the one that quit out of your own volition and then came back, you do get credit in many cases. How do you calculate the length of time? 15-year employee quits, comes back 18 months later. Is that too long? No, it's Two not. Years? That, one know, of like... the things we look at is the overall length of employment and then how big of a proportion is the absence. So if you've worked for 35 years and in between there's a six-month absence, just as an example, that's a fairly small absence mm-hmm. in the course of 30 years. But if you worked for for five years and in between there was a four-year absence, well, that's a, that's okay. a big absence. Okay. So the, the smaller the absence uh, is, uh, as relates to the overall length of employment, the less likely is the absence to count. Talking about things your employer does not want you to know, or at least they don't tell you as far as workplace rights are concerned. I got a couple more here, and this one, next one is a big one, and that is that you may not, in fact, be an independent contractor. Uh-huh. Okay, and you, you, you chuckle there because you've seen this happen on the show. We've talked about this before. An employer is going to often say, well, you're an independent contractor. You invoice us. We don't pay your taxes. You're an independent contractor. That's not the case. Remember, we look at substance, not form. So if you work for a company exclusively or mostly exclusively and you work from their offices using their tools and you've been there for years, you're probably an employee in the eyes of the law. It doesn't matter what you call yourself and it doesn't matter if the employer treats you as an independent contractor from a tax standpoint. So remember, it's a question of substance over form. And just because the employer says you're an independent contractor, even if you thought that you were an independent contractor, it doesn't make you that. And come time for severance or uh, you sever ties, that could be a very costly mistake for the employer. Right? Oh, absolutely. And employers are going to say, well, wait a second. Bob that's worked with me for eight years is really an independent contractor. So when we're going to let him go this month, we don't have to pay him anything. But if Bob really is an employee in the eyes of the law, then Bob may be entitled to a year's severance. And ba- Bob may not know that. That's why what I say is you may, in fact, be an employee if you otherwise look like an employee in terms of uh, how you work, where you work, and the length of your employment. Take a short break. Lots of questions. I know you have them. We'll try to get into some rights of employees on disability this show as well. Lots more of the Employment Hour coming up on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. And uh, we get to the phones right away as we always do. Got uh, Senior Command. How else here? How are you? Not bad. You got a question. Go for it. Yeah, the situation is I, I, I used to work for a company. I made into a car accident since 2005. And my doctor gave me a letter was to go back to work as light duty. Unfortunately, the company said they will never accept me back as a light duty because they didn't meet in the accident in the workplace. And they, I was told that I was resigned on mutual understanding without I knowing that I resigned without mutual understanding, which I didn't know I resigned. I didn't give no regulation, no letter, anything. Okay. When did you try to come back to work? Well, I didn't. I didn't went back because I can't because of my back injury and stuff. I wasn't able to go back, but I was wanting to find out what the situation was, and they told me that I resigned on mutual understanding. Okay, uh, and when did this happen? I met into the accident two thousand five and two thousand twelve. I tried to contact them to see what was going on because I have some investment with them and I was trying to transfer it in somewhere, some other areas. And, and did they give you anything in writing that says you resigned on mutual understanding? No. Okay. Mm. 
and how long had you worked there before your injury? I've been there since 1994. 94, so maybe 10, 11 years before your injury. Okay, so interesting is this. Uh, and, sorry, in 2012, when in 2012? Uh, what month? Last, I think it's August 2012. Okay, so here's the thing. If, if the company takes the position in 2012, in August, that you no longer employ there, unless you, in fact, resign, that is a termination. So believe it or not, they actually are going to be in uh, OU compensation. Now, how many people approximately work for this company? Uh, about 100 or 200. Okay. It's a big company. Big company. So you would. So in 2012, uh, you would have been there a total of, uh, I would say, maybe uh, about 18 years. Yeah, about 18 years, yeah. So you would, actually, you would be entitled to six months' pay. These are your minimum entitlements, not your full severance. Because you're on disability, you're not going to get your full severance, but the company does owe you the equivalent of six months, 26 weeks of compensation. Uh, this is they may treat it as a frustration of contract, mm-hmm. but they still means that they have to pay your minimum entitlements. So based on what you've told me, they owe you six months of compensation. And what I propose you do is you give me a call at the office. Let's talk about that. I want to find out a bit more specifics, but there's no reason whatsoever why you would not get this compensation. Mm-hmm. So, Senior, that number is 416-216-5900. Give Lior a call. Got uh, Barbara in Mississauga. Um, I'm interested in knowing uh, I uh, was working at a company just as a casual worker, and um, I was there over for the Christmas uh, for about five years. And then in the January of the following year, they sent me a separation certificate. And then maybe about four or five months after that, they called me to come back to work. Okay, so just so I'm clear, you said five years over Christmas. So every year for about five years, you'd go there over the Christmas season? Yes, uh uh-huh. Okay, and... One Christmas season, is it a situation where they didn't call you back? Um, no, no. Okay. So, um, But what happened, I was there for the Christmas season, and uh, one of the uh, managers said, we won't be calling you back again. So I wasn't surprised in January when I got a separation certificate from the company. But then they did call you but back sometime back. later. Yeah. Okay. So in, in this situation, uh, unless, in fact, they don't call you back, then... It's not really a termination because you're not there otherwise. You're only there during a certain time of the year. So if that time of the year comes, they don't call you back, that may be a termination because you can say for five years, that was the deal. I come in every year for a month or two months or whatever it is around the holidays, and I work and you pay me. And that's what I counted on. So if the Christmas season does come back and they don't call you back, you may have a case. You may be entitled to some compensation. It may not be much, but you might. Uh, But if they do call you back, then... Legally speaking, they have not done anything wrong yet. Okay, super. That's what I was interested in hearing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thanks, Barbara. Appreciate the call. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. And uh, senior before this was a good way to segue into this one. The rights of employees on disability. There you go. Um, when can an employee go on disability leave? An employee can go on disability leave, John, whenever a doctor says the employee is unable to work. Now, it's important that it's not up to the employee to decide, well, I can't work. The employee can make that decision. If an employee has a doctor's note, a certificate, a letter, uh, any written information from a doctor saying you can't work, that employee is entitled to go on a disability leave. Now, the other thing to understand is that same uh, thing applies whether or not the employer has a sick day policy or a disability plan. Uh, the employee does get to go on a leave. The only relevance to sick day plans or or disability plans is a question of whether the employee gets paid while they're on leave. If the employer has a disability plan, the employee may qualify under that. 
But even if the employer doesn't have a disability plan, the employee is still entitled to time off work to deal with the medical condition, to deal with the disability. Can the employer, say, use your sick days first? Yes. The employer absolutely can say to use your sick days. That's what they're there for. Uh, and in addition to that, the employer can also say, uh, use your vacation uh, on wow, top of that. really? Yes, an employer can do that. The employer is allowed to schedule vacation, strictly speaking. Uh, so yes, but once that's done, uh, the employer, the employee still is allowed to time off as long as is needed, uh, as long as the doctor continues to say that the employee is unable to work. How long can it last? Uh, and th- that's a very good question. We have disability leaves that can last several years. Uh, it's ultimately, uh, it can last until a doctor says the employee is ready to return. Now, in some cases, the employer may say, well, you've been away for so long and there's still no prospect of you coming back to work. Frustration we, of contract. That's a frustration yeah. of contract. We don't have to keep your job for you. Usually that only happens if the, the absence is measured in years, not in months, number mm-hmm. one. And number two, even after all that absence, the employee still doesn't look like they're going to be able to come back to work. So it's extremely uh, difficult. But even in those situations, by the way, John, even in a frustration of contract, just like with the individual we spoke with a couple minutes ago, the employer is still going to have to pay at least the minimum amount of severance to that employee. Would they attempt to get a different job before they got to that point? Lighter duties? Or we're talking cases here where you just know you can't work. Yeah, if an employee is unable to work completely, that may mm-hmm. be a frustration of contract if the absence is long enough. Where problems may arise for the employer is if the employee is, is able to come back to work on some modified basis, right. different hours, different duties. And if the employer doesn't accommodate, is not willing to accommodate, that may then become a termination and it could be a human rights issue as well. We'll get to more of this, the rights of employees on disability. Lots more of it coming up in the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. We left. We were talking about the rights of employees on disability. Let me ask you one more question under that, uh, under that particular um, topic. Uh, what does an employee need to know when the time comes when they're ready to return to work? Well, first of all, the employee has to have the clearance from their doctor to come back to work, uh, something that says they can come back to work. The other thing they need is to understand, uh, according to their doctor, whether they have any limitations. Can they go back to work to do these, the same job in the same way, or do they have to, to have some accommodation? Do they need different hours, different uh, duties, uh, different location, what have you? And they have to then provide all that information to the employer, and the employer may need some clarification. They may need additional information, and that's fine. But once the employer has all that information, it's up to the employer then to make all reasonable efforts to accommodate the employee and to take the employee back. Now, two scenarios happen. Either the employer can accommodate, no problem, and takes the employee back to work. Or if the employer cannot accommodate at all, uh, if the employer legitimately cannot accommodate, the employee can continue on a disability leave until the restrictions are lifted. Or if the employer says they can, cannot accommodate, but they really can, if the employee is convinced that the employer just doesn't want to take them back, that can become a termination at that point. So the employee's job is to provide the employer with all the necessary information for the employer to be able to make a decision about the ability to take them back to work. Let's do some practical, uh, practical work uh, of the uh, severance pay calculator now. Yeah, so the severance pay calculator, John, as the name suggests, calculates severance, severancepaycalculator.com. If you've been let go, if you lost your job, you want to know how much severance you're owed, you can use the severance pay calculator right now. It's very, very easy. Uh, and, and it does a few things. Number one, it tells you how much severance you should have received. And if you've been offered severance, mm-hmm. it's going to tell you how deficient or, or not your severance cool. offer is. So it's a really neat thing. So let me run it uh, as a normal scenario. I'll, I'll, I'll do it right here online as, as we, uh, we talk live on the radio. 
So uh, let's put in a scenario where an employee, the first question that you're going to ask is how long you've worked. So let's put someone that worked from 8 to 11 years. Okay. I'm going to press your continue. And the next thing it asks you is for your age. So let's say someone between 41 and 50 years old. Let's click that and, and move to the mm-hmm. next question. The, and the third question it's going to ask you is what kind of job did you have? Are you a manager, a supervisor? So let's pick a, a middle manager type of a position. I'm, okay. I'm looking at some average uh, situation. Mm-hmm. Then it asks you, if you've been offered severance, uh, well, first of all, what's your salary? So let's put 65000 just as a, as a number. Yep. And what you've been offered. In most of the cases that call me, someone in that situation would be offered about four months severance. So I'm going to put four months. And, and then that's, what you, that's what you generally see. Uh, that's what I see. Okay. So I, I, I press continue, and then it tells me the result. Wait a second. It tells me you're entitled to 12 to 14 Hello. months of severance. And by the way, the difference between what you've been offered and what you're entitled to is for, is somewhere between forty three thousand and fifty four thousand? Okay, so wow. in this scenario, in the fictional wow. scenario, but I have probably about a dozen calls like that every single day. Uh, this person would have been underpaid between forty three and fifty four thousand dollars. So the, the nice thing about the severance pay calculator, it's free, it's easy to use. It took me what thirty seconds now to use it. Anyone can use it. You don't need to know anything about the law, and it's really rev- revolutionized the way that people approach severance, approach the idea of legal information. Anyone can use it. So you go to severancepaycalculator.com uh, right now. Even if you just want to know what you'd be entitled to, if at some point in the future you're being let go, you can download the app too, as well. And you right? can download the app as well. Make it easy on iPhone, uh, Android, and iPad. Uh, just as simple. And also works for employers. That's right? right. We have a mode for employers. If you want to know how yeah. much you have to pay the employee and some other information that's going to be relevant to you, uh, the employer. Uh, use that, and we've had many cases where employers have used it. And by the way, if you if you don't know if you should contact me, you can use the severance pay calculator, get the result, and then when you get the result, there's going to be a, this uh, this blue or green button there that you can click, and it uh, it can send me an email right from there if you want to contact me. So we've made it very very easy. You, everyone should check it out. Tell me about Happen before we uh, wrap it up for the. That's uh, for right. Uh, thanks, John. We've talked about Happen before. Happen is an organization I've been part of for the past uh, eight or nine years. Happen is a networking organization for for managers, professionals, uh, specialists in career transition. It helps those that are looking for work, uh, and it's a networking organization. It helps connect those people that are looking for work with those working with specialists, with uh, with people in the in the in the business. Mm-hmm. So Happen has a weekly meetings in Mississauga, and you can find that on their website at happen.ca. But they're holding a very special event uh, on June the 11th. Uh, it's an evening event. Usually their meetings are in the morning. It's 6 p.m. on June the 11th at the Living Arts Center in uh, Mississauga at the live restaurant there. Uh, it's a very interesting event. They're going to have speakers from uh, Knightsbridge. Knightsbridge is probably one of the lar- largest and, and, uh, and, in my opinion, uh, most uh, recognized career counseling uh, services. They provide outplacement counseling. So you're going to learn everything you need to know about job search skills, interviewing, and resumes. resumes yeah. So very, very effective uh, if you're uh, thinking about starting a new career. If you've been uh, let go, uh, it's a great uh, thing to, uh, to attend. So I encourage everyone to uh, check out happen.ca and register for the Happen event on June the 11th. Sounds like a good plug. It is. It is. And I, I'll be there as well. So happy to uh, meet anyone there. Okay. Finally, uh, some contact information, how people get a hold of you before we wrap up. Yeah, well, my number, always you can call me at the office, uh, 416-216-5900. Call me anytime or you email me, 
Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. You can always email me. I check it all the time. My wife will tell you about that, by the way, John. And uh, <laughs> your wife's awesome. I know her. Well, yes, yes, she's awesome. But you don't have to live with her. No, I'm just kidding. Wow, she's great. no, excellent. No. I hope she's not listening. <laughs> You're done, buddy. The I'm steaks. Done. You're not cooking yeah. steaks tonight. Do, do you know? You're uh, in the doghouse for sure. Yeah, I may need a different lawyer myself now. That's oh. right. Uh, contact Lior anytime outside of show hours, and please do. We'll wrap it for this week. We'll be back at it next week at the Employment Hour right here on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML.